Good evening, everybody. Welcome to my Icon Corner. Today, I am going to have a marvelous guest. You guys don't know. I don't think you guys fully appreciate the guests that I seek out and I, and I find and I bring here. We have the best guests on my channel, the ones that you would not find on any other channel. We have tonight the Willard Preacher. I'm going to bring him on in a moment. First, I want to say, please, if you're new to my channel, please subscribe. Hit the like button, share the stream, hit the bell button, and comment all the above. And um, just that helps my stream get out to more people. I like to see the number go up. But here I'm going to bring on Gary Cattell, also known as the Willard Preacher. Gary, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, I wanted to, you know, I've been looking at your... Uh, this week preparing for the stream i've been doing a little research doing reading some of your writings watching some of the videos that are up uh you have your own youtube channel uh willard preacher podcast and the uh there's a, a verse in scripture that comes to my mind and that verse is behold a sower went forth to sow his seed because you have been standing out in front of willard hall well i want you to tell this story for four over 40 years um, preaching the gospel. So uh, could you give it, well, I'm, I'm going to let you give an introduction to who you are. What is your, uh, what is your story? Who is, who is the Willard preacher? All right. Well, I uh, guess no better place to start than at the beginning. So I didn't grow up in a religious home at all. We, um, I never remember God being discussed in our home. Man, I'm sure there was something between my brother and sister and I or whatever, especially my older brother and I once in a while. But really, there wasn't really any discussion and uh, didn't even wasn't even really something that I thought about much. You know, came from a, a, on the one hand, my, I, I didn't find this, this out. So I was uh, an adult. My dad was an atheist and he wasn't a militant atheist, obviously, because I didn't find out until I was an adult. My mom, she was, I guess, I didn't find this out until I was an adult either. She was Episcopalian growing up, but she decided, you know, for better or worse, that she didn't want to divide the family. So she wasn't going to take all the kids to church while our dad stayed home. So we just never went. And it was just wasn't an issue. And just kind of going from grade to grade, it's a pretty easy life, right? A decent home. All you got to do is pass one grade and go to the next. But then I went into going into my senior year of high school. Um, I realized, well, it's not that easy from here on. In a few months, I'm going to be graduating high school, and then I've got to figure out what I want to do with my life. Do I want to do I live in state college? It's where Penn State is located. So do I want to go to college? Both my parents work for Penn State. Do I want to go to college? Do I want to get a job? My parents never said you have to do this or that. So I'm thinking, what do I want to do? And all of a sudden, I start, for some reason, I started to think, well, I don't even know why I exist. How can I, how can I know what I want to do with my life if I don't even know why I exist to begin with? And so I was going into my senior year of high school. And, you know, to kind of really kind of put this down into manageable level, eventually I realized that the answer to that question, you know, why do I exist, lied in whether or not there was a God. Because I figured if there was no God, there was no reason why I existed. It's an accident in the universe, waiting to cease to exist, no meaning, no whatever. It's not the most pleasant thought, but if that was the truth, that was the truth. You know, it was something I would have to deal with. Um, on the other hand, if there was a God, then he was the reason why I existed. 
So it's shifted from why do I exist to is there a God or not? And some of the things I kind of realized over time was that you can't go about that in the negative, right? There, there, I did realize after a while, there's no way I could know that there was no God. Um, and I realized later on that the only way to know there is no God is if you have all knowledge, you know, everything, and God's not in your little frame of reference, then, then you can know. Other than that, you can't know. So anyhow, that was kind of a non-starter. Um, but I also realized that if I studied all the world religions, the best I could do would be to choose the one I like the best, and I could still be wrong. So I didn't really see a, a, a purpose in that. And I didn't have any religion or any belief in God up to that point. So why just pick a religion? You know, kind of throw a religious start at a religious dartboard and that will hit there. So I'll be that. Didn't see any reason for that. Or even just studying them. And say, in, 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 even if I could know them as well, I mean, as good as any insider knows them perfectly. Still couldn't know which one was it. I could only know the one that I liked the best. That wasn't good enough. So at some point in time, I realized if, there's, if I'm going to know, God's going to have to do something if he's there. So I still remember this. This was back probably late 70s. And I'm thinking, okay, God, if you're there, I want to know. You know, somehow do something. I want to know. And for me, it kind of happened in three sections. Coming to know that there was a God. Coming to know that he was a Christian God. And then actually entering into some sort of relationship or some sort of dedication to, to, to serving that God. And the first two were just kind of like you go to bed one night and you don't know, you wake up in the morning and it's so clear you can't deny it. So if anybody, if anybody's out there has ever had a friend, right. Who, who all of a sudden is a Jesus freak, right. And they're grabbing them by the collar and are shaking. Why can't you see? Why can't you see? Why can't you see? Because it just becomes that clear. You know, there doesn't have to be some twilight zone sort of experience. It's just God opens up your understanding somehow. And it's so clear to you. I remember I was talking as one more example of this. I was talking to somebody up, you know, if you go on to, on to our podcast, you can see the first thing that you see Willard building. There's, there's two kind of rows of there's rows of steps coming down, uh, railings on each side or concrete things on each side. Then you're up to the building on the top and we're up there on the top. And um, and I was trying to get a, a, a he used to be an atheist and now I couldn't quite figure out what he thought, what he believed. So I said, what do you know right now? No doubt. You know, it can't be wrong. And he said, I know there's a God. I know that's more clear to me than this building is. So, you know, when God really opens your eyes, you know, you might not know how you know, but, you know, and then you think, well, everybody else should be able to know. I see it. It was there all the time, you know, they have, they have to be able to see it. So you're, you're, you're bugging them and you're, you're being like this Jesus freak sort and you're, and you're trying to shake them because you think, just open your eyes, see it's all around you. But, you know, you can see because God opens your eyes. He hasn't opened up their eyes yet, so they can't see. So that's kind of what happened. But then I was a big partier at this time, all through college, started in high school, all through college, big partier. And I didn't know anything of Christianity. All I knew was that it was true. And so I'm still partying uh, virtually every day. It's an everyday party. So I, I'm going down to, this, I don't know, if any, uh, well, we have a thing called Saratech here. You, you, you saw your plasma. 
and they give you a few bucks. And so I was going down there sensibly to get drug money or something, but I take a Bible with me and I open up the Bible and I'm reading it there. And seemingly every time I open it up, it, it in essence says, stop partying. You know, it didn't say that exactly, but in essence, that's what it was saying. So I had, had something I had to do. So I'm walking. So, so I leave there. I'm walking down the street and um, I'm thinking, well, what should I do? Should I stop partying altogether? This was, you know, drugs and alcohol. Should I stop partying altogether? Should I uh, moderate? Well, what does moderation look like to somebody like me? Don't start till the evening. You know, just, <laughs> you know, weekends, uh, celebrations, times of celebration. What, what does that look like? There came, a, there came a moment and I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything, but I knew that God was giving me a choice. I can't tell you how I knew it, but I knew God was giving me a choice, him or the party. And when I chose him, that's when everything began to change for me. Um, that's when, uh, you know, as much as I could, as a Protestant believer, I dedicated myself to God. I went to church. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to read scriptures. I wanted to be around other Christians. I didn't want to party anymore. Um, I'd already given up fornicating because it was too high of a price to pay. You know, that 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 uh, closeness you get to that person, you know, you can't help that to some degree unless you really harden your heart. And to me, there was just after a while, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. This isn't worth it. So I'd already given that up, but it was the partying that was the big thing, the big thing that I could see. And that kind of that kind of changed everything for me. So that was uh, that happened in August of 1982. Now there was a guy who was preaching out in front of Willard. Uh, I see. Nick so uh, can, I'll let me break in here. Okay. I, I wanted to just make a comment that I see so many when you're telling this story. I see so many parallels to my own journey uh, to Christianity, because the time frame when I began to do my religious search, it's this late ad adolescence, college age. It seems like so, almost like there's something about that uh, time that's like maybe hmm, maybe that's a time when people start thinking, thinking about ultimate things, you know, and thinking about God. And I also had this, I mean, it sounds like God revealed himself to you. Is that what you would say? Yeah, in some way. Yeah, in some way. It wasn't like it wasn't like a Twilight Zone experience. It was just mm -hmm. it was just. Boom, there it was. I knew. Yeah. So I mean, that's I mean, when you're telling your story, I'm like just I'm thinking of my own journey becoming a Christian. And it's like there's so many overlaps. But um, it also sounds like you're being brutally honest with yourself because you're willing to accept that if there, you know, if there is a God or even if there isn't. Um, so I just wanted to make those comments. But please continue. So bro cope. Yeah, bro cope. He um, he started preaching out in front of Willard in 77. I used to go and listen to him. And so I wasn't going to class. I was partying. I wasn't going to class. I was in, you know, my, this was my junior year, excuse me, junior year of college. And uh, so I'd get this notebook, I guess, just to pretend. I don't know. I don't remember. And I'd walk up to, to Willard and I'd stand there and I'd listen to him. And he tells the story. I vaguely remember this. And I said, I'm not, uh, this, the only time I'm really happy is when I'm listening to you. Because I knew, I didn't really know cognitively, but somehow I knew something was there. Right. And that was in the late 70s. It was not till 82. So he was still uh, uh, preaching at that time. So I would go out uh, once. Now, back then, Penn State had three terms, fall, winter and spring. And so the fall term started back then after Labor Day. So after Labor Day, I go out there and I'd sit there with him 
and I'd, you know, I got some tracks, you know, that I've, you know, some, some literature or whatever that I found and I'd hand it out to people and try to talk to people and so on. And I hope this is right, but by November, I believe that God wanted me to do what he was doing. Uh, at least that's what I believed at the time. You know, I can't verify that. I guess I'll find out in the end. But at the time, I believed that he wanted me to do what he was doing. So it was the last day of fall term. Sometime, you know, November 15th, I found out later. Somebody told me, I told him it was the last day of fall term. They went and looked it up and they said November 15th of, of 1982. He said, okay. Um, uh, no, I went up to him and said, okay, I, I think I want to do this. I'd worked out everything I wanted to say. So at the time he was standing up on one of those walls and that's where he would do it. So I got up there and I uh, just kind of stood there trying to get my courage up and trying to get that first word out and all these people milling about. And um, so finally got the first word out, flowed pretty good after that, got everything out I wanted to say. I thought, well, I'm done. That was it. I did it. So do you remember what you said? What's that? Do you remember what you said, what it was about? No, no, okay. I, don't, I don't remember. But um, but I said, well, that's it, I'm done. But then he and this other guy, there was, there was like three of them that were kind of street preaching at the time. And, and they said, we're going to go downtown. You do this period. So I'm like, I don't got anything prepared. You know, I just gave it all right there. I said, oh, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and do it. At the time, I didn't realize I could just say the same thing again. I just got different students walking about. And you know, obviously, they don't hear everything and whatever. So I just stood up there, started talking, and it all kind of flowed again. So that was the beginning of it. And then Bro went on the road to preach in different, uh, he would go on the road and preach on different campuses over the, over the winter and come back in the spring. And so me and this guy, Joe, we started doing it and we did it all winter into the spring. Bro came back, he kind of picked it up there. And then it's kind of gone on from, from, from that point on until, fall of 1997, I think. And I said something, I think it was about the Theotokos, I think it was about Mary. I think it was about the Pope being shot or something and crying out to Mary instead of Jesus as a, as a Protestant faith. I was supposed to cry out to Jesus, not Mary. Something like that. I forget what it was. But irritated both a Roman Catholic grad student and an Orthodox undergrad. And they both came to me. Now, in the street preaching business, it's okay to irritate people because that gets them thinking. Right. So they both came to me separately and told me that, you know, I was wrong for what I said. And we had discussion with both of them. And but it didn't stop there. This went on for months. And eventually we all kind of got together. And so it was this Roman Catholic, Orthodox and me, the Protestant. And we're all discussing this stuff. And eventually I'm starting to figure out that they're both saying the same thing. They're both saying they are the church. They were there in the beginning. They're here today. They haven't changed the doctrine or manner of worship. So they are the church. But also realized they disagreed with each other. So I figured, well, I might not be the brightest guy in the world. But I know they both can't be right. right. They could both be wrong, but they can't both be right. So this went on for months. This was like early se September when this first happened. Sometime in September when this first happened. Let me get to March. And it's a little colder. I'm standing inside late Friday afternoon, standing inside with this Orthodox undergrad. And he says to me, and I'm pretty sure he was in cahoots with a priest at that time. 
um, you know, to, 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 to bring me these things, to try to try to get me to see things. So he said, well, find me Sola Scriptura in the Bible. Now, Sola Scriptura, the Bible alone, that's 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 Protestantism is based on that. There's no tradition going back to the apostles. Everything's the Bible. So he says, find me this idea of the Bible alone in the Bible. So this was late Friday afternoon. And I said, all right, I don't have it on me. It'll just be an easy one. I'll go back. I'll check some resources. I'll get back to you on Monday. So that whole weekend, I'm starting to panic after a while, right? So this whole weekend, I'm looking at all my resources. I'm calling people. I'm asking them. And it gets to be like, you know, Monday morning. And I realize I don't think it's there. I, don't, I mean, I don't see it anywhere. Um, so, so Monday after, uh, usually starting in the afternoon. So in the afternoon, I, I get there. He's he's always Jimmy. Jim, the guy Jimmy was his name, and he's, he's he was always there. You know, the grad student he had other things to do. I guess he was in and out, but Jimmy was always there. So he's right there. I said, "Well, did you find it?" And I'm like, "Nah." I knew I knew I knew I was in trouble. So nah, I didn't find it. Can't find it. Um, so he said, "Well, let me show you some scriptures here." Now. This happened to me, but it's also happened to many Protestants I've talked to. He showed me two scriptures, both of which, I, because as a faithful Protestant, I was reading the Bible all the time. Uh, and I don't know how many times I'd read through the New Testament. But it was like it was like when he showed me these two scriptures, like I'd never seen them before. It's like there was blinders over my eyes. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that was they were, they were in there. How could I not know they were in there? But the first one was... Um, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. So, so he's showing me this and I'm thinking, well, what church? You know, how does that make sense? You know, I'm just thinking downtown State College, there's numerous churches, there's churches all over the place. The church is the pillar of the ground. How does that make sense from my perspective? And I realized it didn't make any sense, but they, this is the scriptures, but it didn't make any sense from my perspective. Um, then he showed me another one, uh, follow the tradition, whether written or oral. So I thought, all right, well, the written, I can chalk that up to the scriptures, whether that would be right or wrong, I can at least do that. Um, but an oral tradition coming from the apostles to today, and I'm in a little home church that started maybe five years ago. Protestantism itself didn't start till the 1500s. How, how do I make sense of that? I couldn't make sense of either one. And, and there were other ones that 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 that, that came up uh, uh, that we can talk about if you want later. But um, so a couple of weeks later, or a short time later, he says, "Hey, there's this guy coming to speak, Father Peter Gilquist." Father Peter Gilquist was part of a big group of evangelicals, former Campus Crusade, I think, or, or whatever, who came in the church. He wrote a book, "Becoming Orthodox," I think, which is you know, a good book to read if you're if you're looking into orthodoxy. And it was just their their journey into orthodoxy. So he's coming to speak. We want to come hear him. So, all right, I don't got anything else to do. I'll come hear him. So we go there and he starts to speak and he gets his speaking done. And he says, are there any questions? And I'm raising my hand. I'm asking question after question after question. Finally, they said, shut up. <laughs> just be quiet. <laughs> Let somebody else talk. Let somebody else ask a question. Now, they didn't say it quite like that, but no, that was the basic idea. So afterwards, they came up to me. Father John, who was the priest at the time in Holy Trinity, uh, and uh, Father Peter in the camp, and they said, um, we, we know you have a lot of questions. Do you want to come to, to lunch tomorrow morning or breakfast? I guess it was lunch tomorrow. And I said, sure, I'll come and talk to you. And so going there, I remember thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them my questions. 
And I don't have to agree with them, but they better have plausible answers. Because if they don't have plot, like the Roman Catholic grad student was the first Roman Catholic I had talked to in all my years out there that I thought made a plausible case for Roman Catholicism. You know, so I said, they better have a plausible, plausible answers. So I don't remember what questions I was asking them, but when it was done, I thought, well, they had plausible answers. So this is, this is interesting. What do I do now? So during this time, Jimmy had taken me up to the library. He had shown me where the church fathers were in the library. I don't know that they're on, I don't even know if there was internet at that time. I don't even remember. But um, so I said, well, I'm going to go up and I'm going to start. Well, it was a twofold thing. They messed with me. I'm going to mess with them. They, 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 they took Protestant away from me. They, you know, they, they blew that up for me. I'm going to go blow this up for them. But at the same time, I was thinking, well, whatever the truth is, whatever the truth is, whether it's Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Protestantism, or nothing, that's ultimately what I want. So it's kind of a two-pronged sort of motivation there. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I looked at was, well, did the church always believe that the Pope was the infallible head of the church? Because I figured if, if, if the, the church always believed that, well, that settles it. You know, Roman Catholicism has to be right. So that seemed to be the easiest tactic to go on. And I figured, well, I knew enough about the church fathers at the time, or, or maybe when I was, maybe it wasn't at the time, maybe as, as I was going through it, to realize that in every important subject, there were treaties written on it over time. You know, and you could read treaties on virtually every important subject there. Well, I thought a single bishop being the infallible head of the church is pretty important. There should be, you know, long treaties written on that. Um, but I couldn't find it. So I was in touch with Roman Catholics and they were giving me like, like little short clips of things that, that, that at least seemed to say that the Pope was the Pope. He was the guy. He was the one in charge. But every, if not infallible. But every time I went back and put them in context, it said something different. You know, it wasn't exactly what they said it was said. Hmm. So, um, you know, maybe it said... Uh, I don't, I don't remember what they said, but it wasn't, it wasn't the infallible head. It was, you know, maybe, maybe it was, you know, he had some authority or, you know, I, I, it, it was sounded more like the, the, what the Orthodox were saying, right? That he was the first among equals is what it sounded more like. And somebody, some famous Roman Catholic apologist that was married to the sister of the uh, Roman Catholic grad student that I was talking with, sent a book through this guy to me. I think it was called Jesus, Peter, and the Keys. All this stuff about the Pope and his authority and everything. And then this guy called me. And uh, I don't remember how he got the number. But anyhow, he called me. So what did you think of the book? I said, well, I could see from reading the book, I could see where you can get that the Pope is the head of the church. I could see that from reading the book. But I can't see where you can get that he's infallible. And those two things in my mind went together. So, he's, and to my surprise, he said, yeah, you kind of have to take that by faith. And so I'm thinking, he's going on talking. I'm thinking, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's something I'm prepared to take by faith. If, if the Roman bishop was always infallible and the church always believed that, there should be some writing there that says it. There should be lots of writing that says it. 
And he's saying, I have to take that by faith. It didn't make sense to me to have one guy at the head of the church who's fallible. Because then if he, if he messes up, everything, you know, cascades down. And then, and then on top of that, and then, well, then I found Honorius being, Pope Honorius being uh, kind of anathematized by the Sixth Ecumenical Council. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, and I remember I was talking about this to somebody last year, last spring, a student I've gotten to know out on campus, and he's, he's Roman Catholic. And, and I was mentioning this to him. He said, well, he said, we never accepted that part of the council. And this is kind of normal when I talk to Roman Catholics about councils. We never accepted that. Now, that, I've never gotten actually documentation on that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. They've never shown it to me. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you accept it or not. Because what it shows is the whole rest of the church did not think that the Pope was infallible. Or they wouldn't have anathematized him. You know, yeah, maybe you guys didn't accept that. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. But it doesn't matter. Because what it showed me was the rest of the church didn't think he was infallible. And then the other thing I looked at was the filioque. You know, the part of the creed where it says the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, uh, and, and then and then and the Son was added, uh, filioque in Latin. And so I thought, well, is that is that if that's true, okay, then orthodoxy can't be right. If it's not true, then Catholicism can't be right. So I was looking at that, and this is my thinking anyhow. I'm not a genius or anything, but this is my thinking. Um, first of all, the creed starts with, I believe in one God, the Father. So everything has to go back to the Father. He has an only begotten Son. That goes back to the Father. The original creed, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. It goes back to the Father. But when, once you say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, well, now you've added something else in there. That doesn't go back just to the Father. It goes back to the Father and the Son. So you'd have to say something like, well, I believe in one God, the Father for the Son, but one God, the Father and the Son for the Holy Spirit. It gets kind of wordy after a while and confusing. So that didn't make any sense. And then I was thinking, well, the Trinity is three persons, one God. So every characteristic you give to the Trinity has to reflect that. Either has to be, it either has to be uh, shared by the three to show one God, or it has to be specific to the one to show distinctiveness of persons. Every characteristic given to the Trinity did that, except for and the Son. Hmm. So the three, like they're all, they all have one essence, one will, one mind, one action. They all have, they all have love and joy and peace and, and all the virtues and everything like that. And they all share that in common. But only the Father is the Father. Only the Son is the Son. Only the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Only the Father begets a Son. Only the Father brings forth the Holy Spirit. Only the Son is begotten, only Holy Spirit proceeds. So that gives distinctiveness of persons. But then I thought, as soon as you say the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Son, now you've given a characteristic to two persons of the Trinity. It doesn't show one God because it's not, it's not uh, shared by the three. And it doesn't show distinctiveness of persons because it's shared by two. So in my mind, anyhow, that didn't, that didn't make sense. So between all that, I finally decided, well, Roman Catholicism can't be it. So now we look into orthodoxy. So Father John at the times, Father John Reeves, he was the, he, he was the, the priest at the time. And he and he uh, he's having choirs classes. So I said, all right, I'm going to go to those choirs classes. And, you know, and, and he was, Father John, he was a good pastor, but he was kind of an evangelist type. You know, so he, he understood what I did. 
and he understood my need to debate things out. And so he would do that. And it wasn't just me, there was others that coming in too. So we had all these discussions, you know, there were, and, and he, what I liked about Father John was he didn't soft soap anything. He was like, here it is. You like it or don't like it, but here it is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to, I'm gonna try to convince you of something that is, I'm not gonna try to ease it for you. This is it. And there's many times when I walked out of there thinking that can't be it. That can't be it. That's, that's not right. But it always ended up being right. So every, every doctrine that he was teaching us, when I went back to the earliest writings on the subject, which were, I think, always before the year 200, if I'm not mistaken, um, the Orthodox Church was always consistent. So I came to the conclusion, if the Holy Spirit was able to keep the faith intact from the apostles to their disciples, then Orthodoxy has to be it. If the Holy Spirit can't do that, then that's not much of a God, right? He has to be able to, to, to do at least that, right? Because everything else I found was consistent from that point on. So, uh, you know, came to believe that, 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 first I came to believe the doctrine was true. So I said, all right, well, I'll just believe the doctrine. And that'll be enough. I'll keep my little home church. Our little home church wasn't mine, our little home church, and just adopt the doctrine. Then after a while, you know, I started, I started to realize, well, you know, I probably should be taking communion. And, you know, eventually, you know, if I'm going to do this right, it has to be, I have to live the lifestyle and it all goes together and all this sort of stuff. Um, so we eventually came into the, into the church in 1999 and um, had, to, had to change a certain amount of what I taught out there, what I preached out there was a little, little humbling, you know, because at that time, and I kind of end us up by showing the difference between then and now. From, the, from 82 to maybe 2014, those steps were, 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 were almost always filled with people, at least in the nice weather. And even in the, in the cold weather, people would at least be standing around during class changes. So you could go out there, I could go out there, and, and I could unfold ideas and, and, and do the whole thing. And there'd be debates, discussions. There were times when there'd be like five or six little groups around, everybody debating. And it was kind of like, it was kind of a wild time as far as free speech is concerned, especially compared to today. Hmm. And, and, and I remember, I remember this, these times where at Willard, there's Willard and there's Schwab Auditorium, which is kind of like an, an angle off across the little mall that goes up and down, not the little mall, but it's a mall that goes from up and down campus there. And uh, the homosexuals would have their coming out day there. It was just a day back then. Now it's like a year, but then it was a day. So uh, they would have their little rally there. It's within sight. And we, uh, we'd have ours there. And there'd be people everywhere. There'd be a big crowd around, around myself and the others that we were helping out. Big crowd around them. By the end, there were protesters in the middle. The cops were around. Sometimes they'd come over and we'd get into a debate. It, 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 was, it, it was great. It was, it was a wild time of free speech. But then somewhere around 2014, 2016, with the advent of social media and the smartphone, that all died out. Hmm. There came a, there came a, a generation that kind of knew not Joseph, so to speak. You know, they had no knowledge of Christianity, whatever. Every generation from, from 82 to that time period had at least some understanding of Christianity. They were influenced by it. You know, if they didn't believe it, they'd say, show me that in the Bible, right? Nobody says that anymore. Hmm. They just had no knowledge. This was the tail end of the millennials, um, the kind of snowflake generation, um, the uh, microaggression generation, 
tough generation. If you, if you disagreed with them, they hated you. That was, that was kind of a, a tough generation. They were the only ones that really got that bad. Um, now it's Gen Z. They're a little different as far. They're nice. They're much nicer. But they still have the same, uh, I'd say, belief or unbelief. But what they, they have no knowledge of Christianity, and they don't believe you can know who the God is. Hmm. They don't believe you can know what the right religion is. They don't believe you can know what the truth is. They don't believe you can know why you exist. Or why we as a humanity exist. They don't believe you can know what happens after death and how to prepare. They don't believe you can know any of this. The first one, of course, is you can't know who the God is. And um, that puts a barrier up between them and God, obviously. So um, it's very, they're very, it's very difficult because even though they're they're nice people, how do you get somebody past I can't know who God is? So they'll come up and they'll talk one-on-one and ask questions, sometimes pretty good questions, but they don't really believe that you can know what you say you know. Hmm. So um, it, it's been very difficult for the last eight, you know, six, eight years or so. Um, and, and it was like, when it happened, the time it happened, we had, been, we had been getting into like these big debates with like six or seven atheists. They come every, some of them didn't even graduate. <laughs> They'd be out there every single day, all day long for two years, We're debating these atheists every single day. But our f- whole focus was on them. I recruited bro to come in and said, bro, I don't know all this science, science technical stuff. I, when I deal with evolution and so on, it's usually a philosophical, not science. And he said, uh, so I brought him in because he knows the, the technical science stuff. Two years. And all of a sudden they decided, well, we've had enough. They went out and played Dungeons and Dragons because even atheists can't get away some things from spiritual things. Did you get through to any of them? What's that? Did you get through to any of the atheists? Not that I'm aware of. Hmm. Not that I'm aware of. None, none of them have, have contacted me and said I'm a believer now. But we are, uh, so we went back and forth and back and forth. And then, if two, and then and they left, there was this void there. And all of a sudden I'm looking around saying, where did this generation come from? You know, it's like they came from another planet and were just dropped here. Like I said, no knowledge of Christianity at all. Didn't believe they could know anything. And it was just, a, to me, it was a big shock. It took me a while to kind of get my bearings and figure it out. Um, that's the way it is now. Um, and I think it's going to, and, and, and because of that, they get all of their understandings from dominant media, dominant educational establishment. And they don't have a way of, knowing whether what they're uh, hearing is true or not, because they don't believe they can know the truth. Hmm. And it doesn't matter what you say to them. It's like it's so ingrained in them. I, I was trying to tell somebody the other day that this isn't, this isn't an ideology that they believe. This is who they are. And so, so we'll have people, and, and they'll come, and we'll talk to them, and they'll say, so well, you can't know who God is. And we'll say, well, how do you know that? And they'll realize that they don't know that, right? But it doesn't move them. And I say, well, you know, and they say, well, how can you know? I said, well, God can make it known to you. I mean, he's God. He can do that. He's, he has ways, right? And, and, and they say, well, he doesn't do that. So well, how do you know that? And they realize they don't know that. But it doesn't move them. Hmm. It doesn't, it, you know, before that would move somebody. They would either say, I need to get some better arguments. Or they would say, well, maybe what they're saying is true. I got to figure this out. But in this particular generation, it, it just doesn't move them. So, it's so going, them. it's who they are. Going back to the, my original scripture quote, these are maybe, would you say they are stony hearts that the seed doesn't fall 
And, you know, is that the, you know, would that be a good uh, analogy? Yeah, like I think the that'd seed be that falls good. on the stone. Yeah, I think that'd be a pretty good analogy. Um, there, there's just nothing, there's nothing in there. There's no fertile ground there. Yeah. You know, mm. it's all, like you said, stony ground. So the seed just goes and kind of bounces off. Now, we do, okay, like just this week, I'm like, you, you know, things have been tough. When, when, when two people come to you and say, how can I know, how can I find God? And you're like, you're blown away by it. But that happened this week and two people did come. Now, one of the guys, um, well, there was a guy and a girl. And so, so I, you know, try to tell the girl, you know, just you can do a couple of things, right? Uh, if you want to, not, not, you know, you can't just tell them you know, be Christian, right? Because that wouldn't work. But I said, which one of the things you could do is you could start to read the Gospels and heart of your search. Jesus is a man claiming to be God. So if he's God, good. If he's not, then he's a bit loon, a bit of a loon, right? So read him and see if Jesus comes off as a loon or not. So, but in the meantime, no matter what you do, be asking God to make it clear to you. Now, the other guy comes in and he's like, well, I've had some spiritual experiences, but I don't know what to think of them. And he said, he's like, but I've done, at first he said, I'm, uh, he, he, I don't know, he had some sort of, uh, what was it? Uh, I forget what it was, some malady or something. I thought it was, but then he, then he kind, of, kind of comes out and he says, well, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing psychedelics. <laughs> I'm like, All right. Well, I don't doubt you've had spiritual experiences, right? I mean, I did them too and I know what they're like. And one thing, if you're going to do them, number one, you shouldn't do them because, but if, but if you're going to do them, you don't believe anything, right? Because number one, it's messing with your mind. Number two, you're opening yourself up to whatever spirits are out there. So, so whatever spiritual experience you had, it wasn't God, you know, some demon out there. And, and one of the things that I've, I've realized over time, especially in the Protestant world, that there's no discernment. If you have a spiritual experience, it's not evil, then it must be of God, right? So I'm trying to tell this guy, look, yeah, I'm sure it was a nice experience. The devil's not going to come off to you as some sort of evil maniac, right, and expect you to follow him. It's going to give you a nice experience, a pleasant experience, some sort of psychedelic experience, but that doesn't mean it's God. Hmm. So you have to get off of that. And, and I had another guy earlier in the semester say the same thing. I, I guess there's some pretty famous people out there. My, one of my sons was telling me there's some pretty famous people out there that are advocating this, kind of going back to the American Indian sort of, you know, peyote, you know, find a spirit guide or something. You can take these, and, and, and some of them said, and I found Jesus, you know, well, I don't know what Jesus you found. Maybe you can find the real one off of that, or whatever, but it probably wasn't the real one whenever you mm -hmm. found them. But uh, not that God couldn't do that, but chances are. Um, so you got to get off of that, and you've got to, to leave that aside. You're not going to find God there. Again, you can listen to debates. You can read holy books. You can, you know, talk to people. In the midst of all of that, be asking God to make it clear to you. But you have to always want to know truth. It's very important because God's the God of truth. And the spirits that don't like God, they're not the God of truth. They're the spirits of deception. So if all you want is a spiritual experience, there's lots of spirits out there that will give you an experience. Hmm. You know, and, and they'll lead you astray. You have to only want to know truth. And if you do get deceived... Just possible. If you if you always want to know truth, 
my experience with deception is it always looks good. Glitters like gold, sparkles like diamonds, stretches as far as the eye can see, but it's not necessarily that deep. And so if you're always looking for truth, you'll find that glitch. You'll find that thing where God will be able to kind of reveal to you, this can't be it. But if you stop seeking for truth because you've had some sort of spiritual experience, you know, then, you know, you're kind of leaving yourself open to be deceived. So, and I try to tell people, don't look for a twilight zone experience. Don't look for a sign. Well, if that leaf falls off that tree in the next five minutes, then, then you know, that must be God. Mm-hmm. Make it so that God has to open your, your, your mind so that it's so clear to you, you can't deny it. Because that's what you need. Anything else, if you reason it, if it's a spiritual experience, anything like that, you can be led astray. If you reason to it, you can be reasoned out of it. You know, uh, not that you don't reason at all, but, you know, you want God to be involved in this. And you want the God of truth to be involved with this. So it's extremely important that you're always looking for truth. And, and that's all you're going to accept is the truth. And because there's not much else you can do. You know, for people that were in my situation, you know, all I know is the, the, the way the way the way it would have made sense to me. And that's somehow God opening up my eyes. I'm not saying everybody has to do it that way, but somehow, however you do it, I, I had a friend one time who said he was, obviously he was reading something, maybe it's the Bible or something, or, or church fathers or something. And God just opened up his eyes and said, this is true. He just knew it. You know, he didn't know how he knew it. He just mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the best I can do for people on, on, on there. And I think what it's going to take, it's going to take some major disaster to wake this generation up. I don't see how they wake up in any other way, you know, because they're just, like I said, they are secular. That's what they are. They, and, and the dominant media and dominant educational establishment are very smart in this. You know, they get that, they get that, these, these ideas across to them. They infuse it in society. They grow up with it. And it puts that barrier between them and God. And, and, and secularly, they're not just, they try to bring secularism off as neutral. It's not, it's antichrist, mm. definitively antichrist. That's what the enlightenment was about. That's what the sixties in America was about. That's what transgenderism about. That's what homosexuality is about. That's what, what uh, abortion and fornicating and drunk. The reason that they, that they want these morals to be excuse me, good is because they're antichrist. They're trying to put as many beliefs between whoever will listen to them in the culture and Christ as possible. So, you know, can't know who God is, can't know what the right religion is, can't know the truth, can't know why we exist, can't know what happens after death and how to prepare um, transgender homosexuality, uh, abortion, fornication. It's 10 beliefs, 10 beliefs between them. Now, God can get them over that quickly. Those are ten beliefs that they're that they're that that, that, are, that they've been able to put between them and Christ. And the next one coming down the line is, and you can always they always telegraph what they're going to do. And the way they telegraph it is, they begin to change the description of the behavior. So it went from sodomy or something negative, homosexuality neutral, gay positive. So now it's not pedophilia anymore, or at least it won't be soon. 
It's minor attracted persons. That's getting it from the negative to the neutral. Mm. Um, and once they get it to the neutral, then they'll find some sort of positive word to put on it. So the next thing coming is lowering the age of consent. And you can see that with drag queen story hour and kids are sexual from the womb. All these things are starting to just starting to come out with. And initially people reject it. Initially it's like, no, no, it's like homosexuality, no way. Homosexuality took a long time to be accepted in America, decades. Transgenderism took like three weeks. Right. Soon as mm. almost this, I remember, I remember turning on uh, was it the five on Fox News or something? I forget. It's a conservative station. Right after um, Bruce Jenner became Caitlyn, conservative commentators like, well, if that's what she wants to be, I guess that's what she is. You know, I mean, it took it took, it took it seems like it seemed like it was just a week later, two weeks later. That's how fast things are going now because we're already on that roller coaster on the way down. I don't know how long this one's going to take, but as far as I can tell, it's the, it's the next one in the queue. And you don't think that people are going to? I mean, that is like like to our minds, it's such it's so far out. It's such a it seems like such like like you know that's like the worst thing that could be. So and I, I mean, I almost wonder if people were going to have some natural reaction, uh, re like to reject such a thing, like maybe they went too far. Could it be that they're going too far with this or are people really going to accept that? Um, they might be going too far. I hope they're going too far. When I say pedophilia, I don't mean like five year olds. What I mean is like just lowering the age of consent from whatever it is, oh, okay. to whatever age they can, okay. they can lower it to. But imagine back in when, when I was alive in the 19, I was born in 57 and, you know, so 60s, 70s, uh, you know, when people were saying homosexuality is good, people were like, no, I don't think so. That's never going to happen. But now what happens is we get used to it. Right. And now homosexuality, when transgender, you know, I mean, I have to admit that the, the college students, at least at Penn State, aren't fully on board with the transgender thing because it came about when they were a little older. But I guarantee you the kids that are in, in elementary school now, mm -hmm. they're getting it right now. And, you know, unless something happens, yeah. they're going to be all on board with it. So, yeah, yeah. there's all, there, a lot of times there's this pushback at first, but they just keep doing it. And then they say, oh, well, don't you love or don't you, why are you against love? They always do something like that. Yeah. Right. You, know, you hate homosexuals. You, you're a bigot. You know, you're, you're a racist. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe. You're a transphobe. You're a hater. Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They just keep pounding you and pounding you. And finally, people are like, whatever. Right. Okay. <laughs> don't bother me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess when you say it that way, it does sound plausible that that, that, can, that can come about. Um, yeah, and, and, and what happens also is that students on campus, like the, legally we have free speech. And an outsider like me can still go on Penn State campus and say whatever mm -hmm. I want to say. And, you know, they, don't, they might like it, but I can still say whatever I want to say. Students don't feel so free because even if they, even if they were against homosexuality or against transgenderism or whatever, they're scared to death of what I call the cancel Gestapo. 
they're afraid that, that, that they're going to, if, if they get heard and they get to be a problem and, you know, the secular elite, you know, says you're a problem, that they will trash their name on social media mm. and then they won't get a job. So I try to say to them, yeah, that's probably it. You probably won't get a job, but at least you'll be a man. You know, at least you would have stood for something in your life. At least you won't be always bowing the knee. At least you won't be always complying. At least you would have stood for something. Um, but I can't really expect that of them because, you know, if you don't know God, you don't know Jesus, you don't know the God man Jesus, you don't know any of this. You don't, some, some student was telling me something very interesting. I don't know if this is true or not, but it kind of had the ring of truth to me. He said that his generation, because they don't have anything solid outside the collective, outside the generation. They don't have, they don't have uh, truth. They don't have God. They're scared to death to step outside of the collective. Mm. There's nothing there for them. So they do everything they can to stay within that collective. Because if they get isolated from that, what do they have? They don't have anything. Right. So they're not going to, they might, they might say things amongst themselves to friendly ears but they're not going to put themselves out there. Hmm. So I don't remember the last time at Penn State that I heard a student or student group, faculty member or faculty group come out loudly, boldly for everybody to hear and see against homosexuality. Used to be, at least like I said, we used to have these, not riots, really, but you know, debates back and forth all the time. And, and even back then it was transsexual. Interesting thing was when the transsexuals first tried to get into the homosexual group, they were denied at Penn State. Uh, and, and I remember saying at the time, it was fall in the 90s, somewhere, some fall semester. And I remember saying at the time, if you're too weird for the homosexuals, you know, you must be really out there. But by spring, they were accepted into the group because they got mm. pressure into them. So I'm not even sure how much the homosexuals are into the transgender thing. Um, I forget where I was going with all that. But um, anyhow. Uh, yeah, I think that some some homosexuals probably resent the transgender movement, I think. Seems yeah. to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys are just joining us, I'm we're talking to Gary Cattell, also known as the Willard Preacher. And he his job is to go out and stand in front of Willard Hall at Penn State University and preach the gospel. And he's been doing this for over 40 years. So he is a great, uh, he's a wellspring, a wealth of knowledge of, of how to converse with, as you can see, we've been listening to him. He knows he's, he's got his finger on the pulse. He knows what's, what the movements are going on in the, uh, social realm you know he's understand he has understanding of these things if you guys have questions start thinking now you can put them in the chat we'll try to get to them later now uh gary you and i were talking for a few minutes before we went live and i was said i wanted to tell you a little bit about my story and i wanted to actually thank you for the work you're doing you know i said you're planting seeds when i was in college this is the part that i didn't tell you there were two campus ministers similar to you that were uh, crucial in helping me to find the church. When I was a, I believe, yes, I was a senior. I was a senior in college and I was out sitting in the fishbowl down at the University of Oregon and a, a some Protestant campus minister came, sat down beside me 
and just started a conversation. And um, I was, like I said, I was a spiritual seeker. I was seeking the truth. But Christianity at that time was uh, actually like probably last on my list. I thought I was going to maybe go to India and meditate in a cave or something like that. You know, that's what I thought my uh, spiritual path was going to be. But I decided I just went talking to this guy. I said some, something. Some, I think it was the Holy Spirit must have been the Holy Spirit moved me because I thought, you know, I feel something. I actually did feel like a feeling. And I said, you know, I have to give this guy the time of day. So I started meeting with him one-on-one -on -one studying the Bible. And that was how I had, so I was, at the time I was a seeker and I was looking, you know, looking for a way, the way, looking for the truth. And that's how I began to narrow it down to Christianity. And then later in the next calendar year, I was actually transferred to a different school. And uh, the Lutheran, this time I started meeting with the Lutheran campus minister and he had this once a week Wednesday lunch, I would go and then he invited me to have these, uh, you know, little small groups of talking, talking about Christianity and I can voice my thoughts and things like that. And after he had gotten to know me one time, I met with him one on one and he, he was actually the person who suggested to me to go to my first Orthodox service. He said, go to this church. I didn't know what the church, the Orthodox church was. So, to, so this, this was a Lutheran pastor. A Lutheran campus. God bless him. I try to remember him in my prayers as often as I can, you know. Um, uh, so two campus ministers. So, you know, like I said at the beginning of the stream, you're, when you're a college student, that's when you're supposed to be looking. If you don't have the truth yet, you're supposed to be out there finding, you know, discovering the world and finding out what's truth and what is going on. What's the universe? Who is God, does God exist? You know, these kind of things. So I wanted to share that with you um, and why, I, you know, I feel so thankful for the work that you're doing, because I know you're planting seeds. You're out there every day uh, preaching the gospel. Um, so so do, you next... know why, do you know why the Lutheran pastor granted yes. uh, orthodoxy? Yes, he he well he well we had gone to know each other a little bit and he could see that I was somewhat of a mystic. I had a, you know I had a few spiritual experiences um, that were not related to I don't think they were related to drugs, um, but uh, so he he kind of played matchmaker is what he did. He said you know he, he's. He would fit in at, you know, the uh, Orthodox Church. So when I went to an Orthodox Church, that was the end of my search. I never went to any other uh, denomination ever again. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to get I wanted to tell you that I'm sure there's, you know, many like oh, you've been doing this for 40 years. I don't know how many people you might have, you know, got knocked onto the road to to, to follow towards Christianity. Um what is the, what was the question I was going to ask? What, so what is it? Okay. I want to, I want to know, like, what is your day? Like, how does, so you, you go to work, you, you go to the Willard Hart. What, what is your day like your work day when, when you're preaching? How do you, how do you start and how does it, you know, what does your work consist of mainly? Um, well, you know, you know, before I go out, you know, I try to pray and so on and do some reading. Um, I run a few days a week, so that, that, that gets into it also. But then I go out to campus, 
you know, start up in the afternoons, depending on Tuesday and Thursday, classes are different than Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So start about noon on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, about one on Tuesday and Thursday. And like I said, it, you know, for many years, I just start out and just start talking and people be sitting there and I just keep going and going and going and going until somebody said something. Sometimes nobody did. Sometimes the whole day was filled with debates. Now it's a little different. Now, um, pretty much just out there during class changes. So, you know, I speak for 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever it is, 40 minutes, whatever it is. Uh, usually, usually 20 minutes to half an hour. And the idea is to hopefully get people to come in and say, either, either, either God maybe can use something that's said for somebody, um, you know, and God doesn't need much. You know, I remember one time somebody said to me that they, that they came back and said, I just said something really like one sentence. It was one sentence that, that did it. So I'm thinking, well, I go through all these apologetics and everything, and, and, and God needs just one sentence, you know. So, but that's that's all He needs. Um, or, but but really, what it's for? It's like a big sign that says, "Here I am." You know, if you have questions, mm -hmm. come here. You, you you know where I am at the same place. I would um, I would have gone and talked to you. I can guarantee you that if I was a student at Penn State, I yeah, would have well, had a. You would have yeah. been the guy to talk to. Right. Yeah. That's that's good. Um, and, and, and you know, some days there's nothing, some days there's two, three or four come by, um, and talk. Uh, we talked, we had a good, a good debate with an atheist the other day. First time in a long time. We had two atheists used to come by all the time. One for one year, a couple years ago. And there's, there's nobody that likes to talk about God more than atheists. Anytime we get, they'll be out there. I remember I froze a couple of toes one year because of this. They, they'll be out there for hours debating God with you. Then they'll come back the next day and they'll do it again. Uh, at least they used to. I don't know if this guy will be back again. We had a couple guys a couple years ago that, that would do that every single day they were out there. They love talking about God as, as atheists. And we get into some of the best discussions with them because they've actually thought it out. Hmm. But anyhow, that's pretty much how it goes. And then around quarter to five or so, if nobody's, you know, that's kind of like the last class change before they go into evening classes. And so uh, if, if nobody's there to talk or whatever, we just kind of go there. And if somebody is, then we'll stay there and talk with them. Uh, and we get, to, we get to know people, you know, we get some return, return customers, so to speak. People we get to know, they just come by and talk or whatever after a while. Um, so, and, and you just kind of, like you, kind of like you said, just kind of hoping that there's some seed planted there that, that maybe when they get out, you know, at some point in time, something will happen to spark something in them. And, you know, they'll come to God or come to Orthodoxy. So they pretty much know that I'm Orthodox, most of the students. Um, so I'm hoping also that if they get out and they do come to Christ, that they'll, that they'll look at, at least check out the Orthodox Church. And the first service that I went to, um, Jimmy took me, and it was Wednesday of Holy Week. <laughs> like, so I'm going through this Holy Week service. No idea what's going on. Um, That's an intense I, service. Yeah. yeah. And the priest came to me afterwards. Father John came up afterwards and said, what did you think? I said, it was like I was transported back to the Middle Ages. And he said, well, more like fourth century. I had no idea what he was talking about <laughs> at the time. And, um, but, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't one of those people that said, yeah, this has to be it. This must be it. I didn't know if it was it or not, but I knew, I knew I had to find out. I couldn't just go in and reject it right away. I knew I had to find out. So I kept going back and going back and, and then, you know, but but one of the things I like to say, if you, if you start in with orthodoxy, and, and 
you know, for me, when I became, you know, a catechumen and eventually was baptized, I can't say that I understood everything. I can't say I understand everything now. But I knew that it was the true church and I knew that it was the truth. And so I didn't think I don't have to understand everything right now. I remember getting a little bit anxious at one point in time and thought, when can we come in? And Father John said, look, church has been around for 2000 years. I can wait a little longer for you. And he wasn't he wasn't wasn't in a hurry to get us through. He wanted to make sure that we really believe, even though I may not understood everything and, and maybe don't understand everything today. I know that it's true. And so I can I can trust that maybe eventually whatever I don't understand now I'll understand eventually, because I believe that this is the church. This is the true church. There is no other church but this. This is the one that has the truth. This is the body of Christ. And so I can I can trust her. So um, there's been a phenomena that people have noticed across the country of um, churches are are full of. Uh, inquirers and catechumens and newly illumined people are coming to the church in droves people have noticed this have so i'm wondering it seems like orthodoxy is a little bit more well known these days maybe maybe it's getting uh, people are evangelizing on the internet or i don't know why but i'm wondering do you have you noticed any have you noticed anything among the students are people more aware of orthodoxy are they more open to it have you noticed this trend at all or any change yeah, that's, that's a little hard to say because uh, I think that they know, if they want to know, they know that, that I'm Orthodox. I actually was talking to a young Protestant uh, student today, and um, he was saying, yeah, you know, because we started talking about Orthodoxy. He said, yeah, I, th I think Orthodoxy is, has things that Protestantism doesn't have. So, I, so somehow, you know, the message is kind of getting out. Um, I'm not really sure how that is. It doesn't really matter how that is, I guess. Um, as long as people are coming in, we have some, we have some catechumens that are coming. I always like to ask them, well, how did you, how did, how did you come in? And, uh, some of them, it is, some of it, one, one of the, one of our catechumens that's a, a, a student, Penn State student, I think if I remember his, his testimony, right. He came in during the shutdowns and he was just looking for something and, and looking for truth and, and, and was on the internet and came across orthodoxy. Um, so I think, and, and that, that's interesting because, you know, if, if, I don't know if you want to get into this or not, but if we had been open during that time, I think that we could have gotten people in because they were mm -hmm. looking for something. Because yeah. in times of stress, people look for something. Right. And, you know, you know, I don't know what you think about this, but I think us shutting down was a horrible idea, uh, verging on disgraceful. But if we'd have been open at that time, I think we could have gotten a lot of people in. So that's it, whatever, whatever has to be done. You know, you look in the Old Testament and you see what God does with Israel when he, whenever he really needs to get their attention. He takes away everything they're trusting in. So, you know, what are we trusting in America? Our things, our money, uh, our luxury, our ease, our comfort. So it seems to me that somehow that has to be taken away, if not completely, at least to a large degree, to kind of wake people up and say, oh, I don't have anything. I, like, like the students getting outside the collective. I don't have anything to stand on. I need something to stand on. And I think that naturally then at least a decent amount of them will, will look for God at that point in time. And hopefully we as Orthodox will be out there to, to uh, guide them into the church. Right. 
And the churches are always open. We have the services. Anybody, they're open to the public, you know, so people, if they want to go to a church service, they can always, you know, we're there. The doors are open. The priests are, you know, ready to field questions. Um, so Yeah, we have inquirers classes and, you know, and, and I think most, hopefully most churches do. Um, and, and you're right, priests, priests, you know, will be welcoming. They'll welcome you in. They'll, they'll, they'll show you the faith. Um, and so all you have to do is kind of show up and check it out. So is your preaching uh, extemporaneous or do you prepare? Do you have prepared speeches? Do you uh, have certain do you think about it beforehand or, or how does that work? Um, normally, before I start, I ask God to give me a starting point. Um, and oftentimes it's someplace I've started before. I mean, I don't come up with something new every day. Right. Um, and then I kind of ask him to take me from there. And so I just kind of have that starting point and then kind of go from thing to thing to thing to thing. And again, oftentimes they're repeats. The students don't know they're repeats, but they're repeats. But whatever kind of comes, whatever kind of whatever follows the, the previous idea. Mm -hmm. And then and then sometimes you kind of get into like a uh, if, if there's one particular thing, like I think I think last couple of days is when how does how does believing you can't know who the God is, how does that benefit you? How you benefit? I mean, I can understand, I would tell them, I, I can understand how you can, how we can believe something with absolutely no evidence because it benefits us. But how does believing that you can't know who the God is, how does that benefit you? I mean, the only thing it does is harm you in keeping you from God. So why do you believe something with absolutely no evidence that actually does you harm, brings you no benefit? So if there's something like that, that I think, you know, sometimes I, it's just they're always walking by. I can kind of do that over and over and over again mm. uh, as they go by and we'll do that for a while. But it's kind of, but you can't just keep doing that forever. They get, but you have to, so you have to keep mixing it up. Right, right. Um, okay. So they get, they get, because, you know, that these days there's so much entertainment out there, thing after thing after thing after thing. And they're always going from thing to thing to thing to thing. So, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know if you ever saw Star Trek or not, but the Borg and, and with the Borg and, and, and the phasers they have, they always had to keep changing the, the, the phaser and putting on a new setting because the Borg would get used to it and, and get immune to it. It's kind, oh, of like, it's kind of how they are. They kind of get immune to these things because they want right. something new all the time. Sure, sure. They give them something new all the time. So you just kind of hope that whatever you can give them is, is you know, uh, enough that, 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 that maybe... God can make it new to them again or something. You know what would be really cool? What would be awesome? I'm going to give you a suggestion. If you live streamed your work day giving, doing this preaching, that would be amazing. Like I, there's, there's a whole platform uh, called Twitch, I think it's called, that is, is that the one? That is like set up for these long streams, like six hour streams. Like you just, you know, people... That, people would watch that. That would be really interesting. They just kind of stop in and like see what's going on in your day. But, but it's an idea. I think I think I'd have to get a tech guy. Right. You have a little conversation before. I'm kind of a technological luddite. I had my wife up here trying to help me get onto this. This was right. easy. Right. Right. So, yeah, but if I send, that's a good idea. You know, if I can find somebody who might want to be a tech guy and could set that up. Sure. You yeah. show me how to set it up. That might be an interesting idea. That would be that would be that would be awesome. Um, so I I chose as the, as a uh, 
the title of the stream was the most common arguments against orthodoxy and how to respond. Okay, so we're let's let's do a segment, if you don't mind. Um, I think you might have covered a couple of these already, but I'm gonna go through like maybe a few. Can you can you maybe keep the answers to a couple minutes if you or try to so we can get through the different ones arguments. Right. I'll do my best. Okay, so. What is the most common argument against orthodoxy from a Catholic? Against orthodoxy from a yeah, Catholic? Yeah, yeah. Um, and how do you respond? Wow, that's a good question, because usually I'm the one on the offensive. Um, the most common argument against... You could against, you, you could use your argument against orthodoxy, or against Catholicism, I guess. Yeah, we kind of already over, went over that with the Pope and the... Right. Uh, and the filioque. I guess they would say that um, that they would sometimes point to, to, to somewhat of the chaotic nature, it seems, of orthodoxy sometimes, right? Where where this bishop is against this bishop and, you know, as communicating that bishop and or, you know, things that pop up that. But then I say, look, you look back into those first, you know, 11, 1100 years or so, you know, a thousand years. And there were times when, you know, uh, heresies were so overwhelming that it seemed like the whole, like the Aryan heresy, Jesus isn't God, that seemed to take over the whole empire. Mm -hmm. My patron saint is St. Gregory the Theologian, as far as I understand, he had the only church in Constantinople that wasn't Aryan in, in the whole city, the whole capital city. So um, what I try to say to them is, look, yeah, we don't have a, we don't have a pope. We don't have an infallible pope that can just come up and make statements. But look, you know, we, yeah, sometimes it can be messy, but we've kept the same faith for 2000 years because the Holy Spirit's infallible. He guides the church and he can always find in every generation faithful people that he can rise up. It may take a while, you know, but he can, he can find faithful people that can rise up that he can use to make sure the church stays on track. So the, the, one of the main things is, you know, we don't have a pope. But sometimes they'll talk about, you know, some of the theology. They'll try to defend the uh, filioque or um, being guilty of Adam's sin or whatever. But, you know, Roman, Roman Catholicism, it's, it's tough to, sometimes to find Roman Catholics that are really intent about their faith. Mm. Uh, you know, there, there, there's at least one out there now. We've had some discussions about the filioque and about the pope. Those are, those are really the two ones that, that are the main ones. Okay. Uh, next is Protestantism. What is the most common argument for, that you have with Protestants? Uh, normally, it's the, it's, it's the Sola Scriptura okay. argument. Um, they, you know, they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't tend to trust the tradition. Um, you know, to try to show them that tradition encompasses everything, right? And it encompasses the scriptures. It encompasses the church fathers, the saints, the, uh, the icons, the worship, the lives of the saints, the writings of the saints, all that sort of stuff. And it's all consistent. It all comes together as one consistent whole. And that's much more reliable than your own personal take on the scriptures. So they'll try to say, but, but the Holy Spirit guides me. So, so I said, <laughs> I don't know who the Holy Spirit's guiding, but either he's confused because he's telling everybody something different, or maybe not everybody's listening to the Holy Spirit. And I give them one example. There was, there was one time I was preaching, there was two guys sitting up on the wall, and um, they're both Protestant. 
both believed that they, you know, both read the scriptures, knew the scriptures, believed the Holy Spirit was guiding them. One said, baptism saves. The other says it's just symbolic. So how do you know which one's right? You know, they, they, they'll both give you scriptures. They'll have answers to the other scriptures. Where's the tiebreaker? There's no tiebreaker. And so what they're going to do is just divide and go into different churches. So um, one of the things I try to show them is the scripture that says God's not the author of confusion. I just showed the young Protestant I was talking to today. God's you know, scripture says God's not the author of confusion. Well, Protestants is one giant mass of doctrinal confusion. God can't be the author of that. So, um, you know, people, you know, people believe what they want to believe. So you, you show these things, you hope that maybe down the line they can get it. But, but normally, you know, normally they don't get it right away, but hopefully they will down the line. Try to use some of these scriptures like we, we, we brought up before and show it to them at least. Let them see it, but to kind of put the bug in their ear. Hopefully they're willing to change their mind if, you know, that was that's something that was obvious in your story that you were willing, you know, to change your what you believed at some points when uh, when you were confronted with the truth. Um, how about an atheist? What is the most common argument that you have with an atheist? I think the best I think the best argument uh, against atheism is objective morality. That you can't have objective morals without God. And I'll try to do this quickly, but normally what the what for a normal atheist, some of them know this already, but a normal atheist, if you say you can't have objective morals without God, they'll say, Oh, of course you can. You don't need God for objective morals, you know, and and and, and they're very sure of that. So again, I'll try to do this quickly, but I kind of hit it from two different angles. One is uh, morality is not a, a physical entity, right? There's no morality bush somewhere. You see something happening. Then in your mind, you think that's right or wrong. So there has to be a mind capable of, of conceiving morality for it to exist. So if there's no God and there's the Big Bang, there's no mind there. There's no morality. Uh, you know, planets, stars, no mind, no morality, first cells, multi-cells, uh, no morality, no brain, no morality. Fish, amphibian, reptile, mammal. They got a brain, maybe but not one that can conceive of morality. So then humans come on the scene. So there's still no morality anywhere because they, because even though humans have the mind for it, they just don't all of a sudden become, wake up and be humans. Oh, we're going to make morality. But most, most uh, atheists will say is when we went to form society, that's when we came up with the morality. So at, whatever you think it is, at some point, humans just made up the concept of morality. So if we made up the concept Number one, we could throw the whole concept out if we wanted to. Number two, we can put the specifics in any way we want. There's no objective, there, there can't be objective morality without God. You can, if we have time, you know, you can show this to them with a little role play. So this, this is for some of your, I don't know, this may sound a little gross to some of your, if some of your listeners, but I use this because everybody believes this is always wrong all the time. Where they might, they might be able to get, around it for some things they can't get around it and I'll, so again excuse me if, I mean, if you don't want to listen to this maybe you should mute this for a second but um i said what will we'll role play we'll say there's no god i'll say i just me like to rape two-year-olds now you tell me why i'm wrong if 
for raping children. Not why you're wrong. Not why you don't think it's wrong. Not why your buddies think it's wrong. Not why the whole world thinks it's wrong. You show me why I'm wrong for wanting to rape two-year-olds. So they always start out with the obvious. It hurts the two-year-old. So I say, yeah, so? Why is that wrong? Why is it, why is it inherently wrong in a godless universe to hurt anybody? Um, so, you know, you, you can't just make the statement it, it, it hurts somebody. You have to tell why it's wrong for everybody that hurts somebody. Maybe I like to hurt people. And they say, well, if everybody was around hurting everybody else, you know, uh, uh, society can get chaotic and, and dangerous. So, yeah, so what's inherently wrong with that? You know, I'm sure you'll find people out there that would love a chaotic, dangerous society, right? I, I tell them, that's why I sleep with my guns. You know, kill or be killed, rape or be raped, steal or be stolen from. Last man standing wins. That's, that's, you know, that's what, I don't need coffee. I got that adrenaline every morning. That's what, that's what I want to see. Why is that inherently wrong? And they say, well, you know, then all of humanity could go extinct. I say, yeah, you can kind of see the pattern here. Yeah, so why is that inherently wrong? You know, in, in, in a godless evolutionary progression of events, if a species comes into existence, that's neither good nor bad. It's just something that happened. If a species, including the human species, goes out of existence, that's neither good nor bad. It's just something that happened. So you can't say that that's inherently wrong. You can just say that you don't like it. Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll appeal to society, but then they'll realize the majority is not always right. Sometimes they'll appeal to a particular philosopher, but if you don't agree with that philosopher's basic premise, it doesn't matter what he says after that. So eventually, eventually, they'll say, all right, now they got a choice. They realize that they do need objective morals, or they do need God for objective morals. So now they have a choice. They can say, well, I know raping two-year-olds is wrong. I know it's wrong for everybody no matter what. Can't get there without God. So I guess there must be some sort of God out there. Doesn't have to be Christian God, just some sort of God out there. Or they can say, well, I guess, I guess uh, raping two-year-olds isn't necessarily wrong. Every single time, for decades, they say, I guess raping two-year-olds isn't necessarily wrong. Because what they want is to be atheist. That's what they want. That it doesn't matter what they have to say or do, they want to be atheist. And when they get to that point, it's like, all right, well, you know, you, and what I try to say is you can't live that way. You can't, if you see, let's say you're watching the news and somebody just shot up an elementary school, killed 30 young kids. You're not gonna say, well, that wasn't necessarily wrong, objectively. I didn't like it. But I can't say it's wrong for him because his morals are up to him. Society says it's wrong, so but society could change that at any time because it's not objective. Uh, they're going to punish him because there's more that don't like it than do. It's like punishing somebody for eating peas because there's more that don't like peas than do like peas. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the level it's on. Like, but you can't live like that. When you see that, you're going to think that person did wrong. At that point, you're not, you're not, you're not talking about a societal norm because societal norms can be wrong. You're making an absolute declaration that that person did wrong. That has to be some sort of cosmic law that's good for everybody, no matter what. And that law can only come from God. So they'll try to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can live that way. Yeah. Atheists live in a fantasy world, right? And so you can't have justice either because the justice system is dependent upon you actually doing wrong. You know, we, we bring some mm -hmm. up for murder and we think that he did wrong. We don't bring him up and say, well, you didn't really do anything wrong. 
You know, they're just more of us that don't like it than do. So if you're, if you're guilty, we're going to punish you. But, but you know, you didn't do anything wrong. That's not how it works. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's how it works. So a, they live in this kind of atheist fantasy world. That's not the real world. That's my last line with them. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to live. If your ideology does not adequately explain the real world in which we live, then it's no good. And your ideology is explaining a fantasy world that doesn't exist and nobody lives in. And then, you know, we can go on for hours and hours, but in the end, you know, that's, you know, that's where I end uh, that part of it. Okay, how about an agnostic? It sounds like you've explained that agnosticism is very prevalent these days. Yeah, um, kind of depends on, you know, yeah, I guess like, like students, students will believe that there is a God, generally speaking. They might call him a mm -hmm. higher power or something. They just don't believe they can know who the God is. And it's just, ultimately, ultimately, they think they're getting the best of both worlds, right? Getting the best of the, uh, the, the God world because there's a God there that maybe they can pray to even though they don't know who he is. And maybe they can, be, they can go to heaven or whatever. Um, and they're getting the best of the atheist world and they can live any way they want. But since they can't, since they can't know who the God is, it's God who's keeping it from them. So he can't really hold them accountable. So they can pretty much do whatever it is they want and still go to heaven in the end. Hmm. But uh, you know, otherwise, otherwise two agnostics who say, I don't know if there's a God or not, there's two different types. There's the type that says, you can't know who the God, maybe there's three different types. You can't know if there's a God or not. There's a type that says, I don't care if there's a God or not. And then there's a type that says, I don't know if there's a God or not, but I want to know. The only one you can really work with is the one who says, I want to know. I mean, you, you, you can try to work with the other one kind of the same way you work with the atheists. They're very similar. So it gives a lot of the same arguments there. The one that has the chance is the one who says, I don't know, but I want to know. Okay. Um, do you ever foresee yourself, do you see yourself retiring ever? I did get asked that once in a while. Um, uh, well, if I stop being able to think, I guess that would be a good clue. Mm. Time to stop. Better keep drinking that coffee. A little bit older. Yeah. It's possible. Um, but I can't really, you know, or physically, I can't do it. Um, I still believe, although, you know, mm. that, that God kind of wanted me to do this. But I also believe that if he doesn't want me to do it anymore, he has ways of letting me know. Right, right. Sure. And so uh, I think at this point and this day, um, I'm going to continue to do it until either I can't do it anymore or it becomes clear that and maybe those two things are the same, right? God doesn't want you to do it anymore. So he makes it so you can't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, so otherwise, um, I, I think that um, I think that it can still be valuable to some students even today. Um, so go out and give it the best shot and see what happens. Right. Yeah. I remember... Uh, talking about, you know, God letting you know, I remember reading an interview of the uh, former first hierarch of the Russian church abroad, um, Metropolitan Larian. He, there was an interview there and he was talking about, you know, they asked him a similar question, you know, and he said, if God asks me to, you know, I'm going to keep doing this until unless God asks me not to. So he he was so intimate with God that he would be 
would have known if God was asking him to step down from his leadership role? Yeah, for me, I need kind of a slap upside the head. <laughs> I Maybe for most of us, yeah. I look at, I look at my, my life and I, and I think, you know, I don't get things real quickly, you know, because I can see the pattern. I can see, wow, I started doing that a long time ago and I'm just figuring it out now. So I know, it can, but God can slap you upside the head if he wants to. He can, he can get your attention if he wants it. Uh, do you want to say something about your book? I understand you wrote a book. Yeah, we I did write that book. Um, uh, what did we, oh, The Christian Versus the University. Mm-hmm. I wrote that not too long after I became Orthodox. And it's essentially, if I updated it today, I, I probably would update it with, with some things. But essentially, what I wrote it for was, and, and, and the format of it is, I took it from the C.S. Lewis um, when, you, when, you, when, when the demons are writing back to each other, back and forth to each other. Through tape letters, is that the tape letters. And But in this case, uh, my nephew, uh, Aaron, um, is going to college. And this is, you know, fictional, but uh, he's going to college and he's writing me letters, which you don't see, about his experiences there. And so I'm writing him letters back um, and saying, okay, he maybe has a question on homosexuality or, or fornicating or drunkenness or hell or whatever. Or even we even go into Protestantism and Catholicism a little bit, I think. And so it's meant for it's meant well, it's meant for anybody, but they're not like so, you know. For me, you know, I'm kind of a simple person, right? So I just I just want what's what's the what's the basic thing that I need to know? What are some basic arguments that I can I can you know hold on to? So these aren't like this isn't like a great philosophical treatise or anything, but it's. It's basic arguments that I've used out on campus up to that time, 2001 or two or three, whenever I wrote it. And um, just kind of putting it out there to him in, in kind of an informal, writing him a letter, helping him through his first year of college. Um, so I think it's, I think it's good for, for anybody who wants to know some basic arguments for things. Certainly it's good for any, any high school kid or college uh, student uh, parents who want to be able to talk to their high school uh, or, or, or middle school uh, kids about this because their arguments virtually anybody can understand. They're not, they're not in-depth at all. Um, so anyhow, uh, the Christian versus the university, you can get on Amazon, I guess, uh, if you're right. interested. Now, uh, often I ask if I have clergy or people who have some sort of uh, religious vocation. And since you have a vocation as a minister, I'd like to ask you this question. Would you please, would you give us a word of advice, a word to live by, as they say? Uh, well, that kind of depends. I, it's interesting because I've got that question twice today. Um, so it kind of depends on where you are. So and, and, and when students ask the question, you know, I just got to give them something short, right? So... Um, so today I just basically said, uh, ask God to make himself known to you, you know, every day, every morning, wake up, say, God, I'm here. You know, I want to know. Um, but I would also say that, um, I think that we as Christians, we can't live in fear of the cancel Gestapo. You know, it's, it's our fault that the culture has gotten this bad because we didn't stand up when we had the chance to stand up way back in the 60s and 70s. Some did, but obviously not enough. But, and, and, and I, know, I know 
that I don't have anything to lose. So I'm not, I might not be the best person to, to say this because people have a lot to lose. But some way we have to be able to stand up at some point and just say no more. No, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to stay quiet. We're not going to pretend everything is good. You know, things are terrible. Um, and, and, and one way you can see how bad things are is because we're used to it. You know, homosexuality, oh, yeah. Transgender, maybe not quite as used to that, you know, but, but we just get used to it. It's just part of, of uh, uh, you know, remember somebody was asking me, one, one of the clergy, I think, uh, was asking me, you know, if I wanted to teach adult Sunday school, and I said, well, what are some of the topics? And he said, well, Sodom and Gomorrah is one of them because we're going through Genesis. I said, well, there it is. Look around you. But do we see it like that? I mean, at Penn State, women will walk around without a shirt on or, or a shirt totally unbuttoned. So I, I say sometimes to them, you know, it's just in preaching, not specifically. If you can't afford a shirt, you know, we can buy you one. <laughs> if you don't know how to button one up, we can get somebody to teach you. We can get you a roommate that'll say, hey, Sally, you, you know, you forgot to put your shirt on when you walked out of the house. Is it a liberal uh, campus or how is the... Penn State's not like super far left. It's probably in the middle somewhere. Hmm. But it's just this year, maybe it started last spring. I just started noticing that it's like the fashion. Just I was talking to 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 a, to a student, and and we were talking about this kind of where do you get your morals without God? And he said, "Well, I have my conscience." I said, "Yeah, great, you got your conscience. Your conscience has to be formed by something." Mm -hmm. Oh well, it's formed by whatever. So this girl walks out. We're on one side on the wall. This girl walks out to the other side of the steps on the wall. She has her back to us, and she, it's, it's it's warm out for October for us. It's like eighty degrees. She was, it just takes her shirt off and puts it in. And I said, look at that. What? That? What? I said, just took her shirt off. Well, that's the social norm. I said, well, that's what forms your conscience, the social norm. Without God, your conscience more than likely is going to be uh, formed by the social norm. So um, you're just going to end up believing whatever the culture tells you to believe. And that's what he, and he didn't even realize he was doing that until that moment where, mm -hmm. You know, for me, you know, I mean, I know I, maybe that would happen in the 60s. I don't remember. I was a little young back then, but um, it hadn't happened for a long time. But there it is. And he didn't see anything wrong with it because it was the social, social norm. Um, so anyhow, I would, I would just like to see us in some way stand up and, and, and you know, I always tell students, stop bowing the knee. Mm -hmm. Stop being compliant. Stop just doing everything you're told to do. You know, you know, get a backbone. You yeah. know, wake up, be a man. You know, say something, do something. And I'm not I'm asking people to lose their jobs or whatever. I know people need their jobs. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you can do. But as long as we continue just to go along and be silent and be safe in our churches, you know, one of the things that students always say is be safe. So that's not the way to live your life. Live your life by being safe. Yeah, you don't want to take any stupid risks, but you're never going to, do, you don't want on your tombstone, I played it safe, mm. right? You, you, you know, you, you, you got to, and I'm not telling anybody to lose their jobs because I don't want to be responsible for that, but just somehow you got to be able right. to, to, we got to be able to put a stop to this because it's evil. It's mm. just evil that, 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 I think I was saying that today too, that, that homosexuals nationally have a whole month of October dedicated to them. The whole uh, month of June dedicated to them. 
in a Penn State, because there's not that many people there in June, they also have a whole month of April dedicated to them. Shout their beliefs from the rooftops. A Christian says anything negative, and it's like, oh, how could you say that? You're a horrible, terrible, wicked person. You need to shut up. Why is only one side allowed to talk? And I said, I said, that's not the America I grew up in. America I grew up in, which is long gone now, anybody could say anything at any time. I mean, you watch All in the Family. <laughs> if you want to see free speech, they were saying things there that you couldn't possibly say today. At least, you know, people think you couldn't possibly say. But that's when free speech was actually allowed. And now mm. we're, we're afraid to speak. And we have to get over that fear. You know, uh, sometimes I, I try to say to people, I don't know, I know I'm going on and on here. But I look at the no, ancient fine, martyrs. Fine. Look at the ancient martyrs. They, they rejoiced in being tortured for Christ. And they yep. said, and they'd be like, if I could just be tortured more, I, I can't be tortured enough for my, my love of Christ. And, 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 and we don't want to be called bad names. You know, and, and I know we're weaker than they are and everything, but we got to do something to, to live up to that legacy. Um, I remember St. Sebastian, right? They, they, they shoot him full of arrows. They leave him for dead. This Christian woman comes along, realizes he's not dead, somehow nurses him back to health. And what does he do? He goes back and he says, well, here I am. Didn't work. Try it again. You know, after having been shuffled, would we do that today? No, we'd say, that's it. I had enough of that. I'm out of here. Um, so anyhow, I think, I think you got to do something. We just can't keep being compliant. That's, I don't think that's the age we're in. We're in the age where we're, if we're going to make any headway with people, we have to be bold. Somehow. I agree. I agree. And especially since they're coming for our children. I mean, you know, yeah. like that's a good place to put your foot down. You know, I think it's time to, uh, like you said, have a, have some backbone. Yeah. And you see some of that, see some of that, you know, during the shutdown, people all of a sudden realized what was being taught to their children. You know, um, and I would suggest, you know, just my own personal thing to, to parents, you, you better know your school system. And don't put your kids in a public school unless you know that it's different from most. Because that you're gonna you're gonna put them in there for six eight hours a day, and they're gonna get that secular mind uh, control mind, you know, whatever that is. Uh, anyhow, they're gonna get the, they're gonna get that stuff for six hours a day, that indoctrination for six eight hours a day. And then when they're gonna come home, and everything's gonna be rushed. You're gonna make them dinner. You're not gonna really have time to sit down with them and talk about their day and, and, and un. Even if you did, how do you unindoctrinate them? Right. So right. you don't want to well, send. And, and then they watch movies and TV shows, yeah. which further reinforce, you know, like they spend all that. Like, I mean, I know I'm guilty of it, but if I looked at my like how many hours, you know, the, the phone keeps track of how many hours you were looking at the screen. They call it screen time or something like that. If I if I ever have that pointed out to me, how many hours I'm embarrassed, how much I'm on my phone. You know, just, like, just I, I can't I, I can't believe all the kids that have smartphones. Yeah, where you can get pornography, and that's the other thing at Penn State. The guys are hooked. Well, some of the reason I think the women are dressing like they are or undressing like they are is because the guys are all hooked on pornography, because you know you, it's so easy there. So kids can find anything on there, and you're just giving them this phone where they can find anything in the world, perverse, evil, whatever, and just look at it all day long. And, and if you don't know, you know, I mean. You're just allowing your kids to corrupt themselves. Right. And so you got to be very careful these days with kids and keep up and, you know, try to homeschool or send them to a private school or do something. 
But remember, we as parents are responsible for what our kids are learning. And I'm not against indoctrinating people. We just need to be indoctrinated with the right thing, right? Sure. I mean, I'm not one of these people that says, you know, I used to be, but I realized that it wasn't right, that, that you can't, you can't, you know, there's no neutral out there, right? You, you're not just going to school to teach you how to think. You're going to school to learn the truth. And you have to find your, you have to find a place where your kids can learn the truth and hope that after 18 years of that, in home and in school and in extracurricular activities, that it's, it's sunk in enough that they're not gonna go astray. But you're not doing them any favor by giving them a smartphone and sending them to public schools. That's not, unless the school's very different than they are around here. Right. I'm gonna highlight this comment. This is a good comment from Naval Orange Gazer. We live in an age where priests are afraid to preach the hard truths of orthodoxy to their own flocks. This age of rabid agreement and compliance must end. Yeah, you know, I was, I was, that, that reminds me of something. That's very true. That's very true. It reminds me of something else, that the difference between a pastor, a priest, and an evangelist. Generally speaking, it's not always true, but generally speaking, the pastor wants to keep peace in the congregation. Mm. Generally speaking, the Orthodox wants to, or, or the evangelist wants to blow everything up. Right? Uh, he wants to, he wants to not blow everything up, but he wants to stir people up. I think it was Father Thomas Hopka that said the church is filled with basically decent people doing basically benign things. Hmm. So the evangelist sees that and says, no, that's not good. We need to stir things up. We need to get people moving one direction or the other, which is what preaching evangelism does. It gets them moving one direction or the other. The truth and Jesus said the truth divides, you know, mother against daughter, father against son. You know, it, it, it's, it's better that they move one direction or the other. Because even if they're moving in the negative direction, maybe they realize, whoops, you know, I guess I've been kind of doing that before and I never realized it. But now I realized it better than maybe I had to come back. Um, yeah. But at least they'll know it. But it, it's this, just like Naval Orange Gazer Gaze said, you know, it's, 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 just, it's just this kind of deadly sort of compliance that that and that you're just stuck in this nowhere land you know right. somewhere yeah do something i, I mean there's probably you know there's good every i guess every man has this calling maybe not every person is called to be an evangelist um and it's good that we do have priests we can't give them this they are there run, doing the services giving us giving us communion giving us confession giving us the mysteries they do they do do that so i guess we can credit that we can give you know we you can't take that away from them even if they I'm, aren't i'm not saying it's wrong to want to keep peace in the congregation i'm not saying it's wrong but you know um it's just the difference between the two mindsets right right and then they both have a place i'm not saying one is right and one is wrong they sure, both have sure, a place. Sure, sure. um but um you don't want to keep you want to stir things up to the point where you don't have a congregation anymore. Right. Because you don't want to have peace, uh, so much peace in the congregation that nobody even, you know, cares that they're there. There's right, some right. balance, yeah. some balance yeah. between those two. Yeah, you should, you know, your hearts, if a priest is giving a sermon, you should touch the hearts of the people, you know, they should feel that their hearts get touched, you know, otherwise, if, if they don't even, otherwise they might not even remember what he said, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, try to take try to take the scripture you're talking about and make it applicable. Sure. Okay. Right? To, 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 and 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 I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna always speak like an evangelist, but you know, just 
just make it applicable and make it something that, like you said, they can think about something that moves them in some way, at least has the possibility of doing that. Um, so this is great. See, we have, this is a, uh, I guess, a tradition in the church of like, you know, people, laymen who have, uh, you know, they're given uh, ministries, you know, my ministry is running a YouTube channel. You stand in front of Willard Hall. Um, before we check out today, um, please uh, share us, share with us everything, how people can find you. Tell, tell, tell us about your YouTube channel, your podcast, your website, and all of that. Yeah, we've had a website for a long time, thewillerpreacher.com. Just put up a lot of information on there about various things, uh, Catholicism, Protestantism, um, just kind of just kind of the overflow from, from being out at Willard. And the podcast is uh, Willard Preacher Podcast on YouTube. And it's, it's, a, it's a friend of mine and Matt, and we, we've had various things on there. We've debated an atheist. We've debated a Protestant. We, we've kind of deconstructed Matt Walsh's, you know, I don't believe in, in uh, young earth creation. We took clips from that and, and said why we thought that maybe he was wrong. We put things on there like, um, you know, a defense of icons. And we're kind of working on the objections that we had coming into orthodoxy. And we're starting to put those up uh, also. So there's lots of stuff there. And it's all kind of designed to be like a, almost like an inquirer's class, you know, where we're, 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 putting, we're putting things up that we think might help people come to God and come to orthodoxy. So that's it's the Willow Preacher podcast on uh, YouTube. And there's a, uh, there's a link in the description. So you can just click the link over there and subscribe to his channel. Um, and if people wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best way? Um, I would say uh, um, email uh, thewillardpreacher at comcast.net. Okay. So, uh, Gary, thank you so much. This has been a, a very enlightening conversation. So we thank you very much for your time. And um, please like, like the video, share, subscribe, comment. And uh, we will see everybody on the next, on the next episode. Good night.